0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 44, my name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week I've been playing the Bleeding Edge Beta, a new 4v4 hero brawler coming soon from Ninja Theory. I also picked up Dead Cells, the Bad Seed, that's the new DLC. I've also been playing Luna, the Shadow Dust, a new pointy click adventure game from indie developer Lantern Studio and I got to speak to one of the creators, Baidi Guo, in the build up to launch. So it's a jam-packed show, let's get to it! Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week! Love has been in the air this week with Valentine's Day this past Friday and I hope you had a good time with your significant other. Well, there's plenty of romance to be had out there in the world of gaming too as many live service games these days hold their valentine's day events so destiny 2 for example had crimson days and that's a 2v2 pvp event and uh, there was also events in plenty of other games too also this week i headed home for the weekend to hang out with my parents a little bit and it's always nice to catch up with them so shout out to them both uh, we've got storm dennis rolling through the uk at the moment and man I am pretty tired of these storms. <laughs> Apparently last weekend there was this plane that rode the jet stream from New York to London in record time. It was, I think it was about 4 hours 45 minutes or something. Oh my god, I would not want to be on that plane, I'm telling you that much i am actually traveling this week so i hope storm dennis you know just disappears really to be honest because i'm off to brazil for a few weeks i'm traveling down to the south of the country for the first time ever uh, to the place where they basically invented brazilian barbecue i'm um, to say i'm excited really does not cover it i cannot wait uh, but have no fear i'm going to be taking my mobile recording setup with me so you're not going to miss out on any weeks of the podcast i'll let you know how it goes and hopefully hopefully i'm going to be posting more podcast content than usual And if you want to get involved more in the community, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, chat about games, movies, TV shows, podcasts, then come on over to Discord. The link is in the show notes. Discord is open and you're more than welcome to join. It's a small but growing community, but I'd really be happy to have you there. If you want to send in questions, get early access to the podcast and other exclusive audio, then sign up to Patreon on patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. Right, let's get into what I've been playing this week. So this week I've been playing Bleeding Edge which had a beta this weekend and man it was a whole lot of fun. I didn't really know too much about this game but I was really really impressed. I've got my first impressions of the 4v4 brawler coming out really soon. I've also been pulled back into Dead Cells with its new DLC The Bad Seed which is a fantastic addition to an already top game. I've also been playing through Luna the Shadow Dust this week and absolutely fell in love with this game. And uh, it's a point-and-click adventure game and the puzzles may be tough in places, but the artwork and the music won me over. And I absolutely love this game. We'll get to my review of that game in a bit, but not before speaking to Baby Guo from Lantern Studios. But first up, let's get into Bleeding Edge. Leading Edge is a new 4v4 team brawler coming soon to Xbox and PC, so visually it's similar to Overwatch uh, and Borderlands and it has that over the top feel that you may come to expect. So there's three classes of fighters to choose from, you've got Damage, Support and Tank. Uh, damage your kind of regular fighters support helps you out with healing abilities and tanks well they provide the big attacks and the dps so it's good to have a mix in your team of different classes and you can mix and match to see what works for you but i would definitely recommend having a healer in your team because otherwise it's going to go pretty badly There's plenty of fighters to choose from, all with their own personalities and augmented abilities. So in the damage class you've got Demon, he's your ninja type with a katana, you've got Gizmo, offers up a little bit of a range with a blaster, and you've got Nidhogger as well who's a melee damage player. So in the tank class you've got Buttercup, who's got wheels for back legs, El Bastardo with his double swords, and Makutu who's a melee tank. Finally in that support class you've got Kulev. A range support character Miko and Zero Cool who kind of rides around in a little vehicle of some kind. So during the beta I played as Demon and El Bastardo. There's plenty of attacks and you've got regular attacks as well as three special attacks. So For example, Demon on his special attacks you've got Stealth, Shuriken and Shift. So each attack has a new dimension to the attacks. With invisibility you can sneak up onto the enemies and then with the range attack you can use a Shuriken. So matching your regular melee attack can enter into a combo where you attack four times with a sword and you can tie up your enemies in combo attacks. So you're going to need to master evade when you get tied up in combos yourself from enemies, you need to roll out the way and get back to attacking them. So you've got three evades which operate on a cooldown and you can also lock onto players and switch up the lock on uh, and the focus uh, between different players too. There's a couple of game types, including objective, where you have to stand on plates and control zones A, B and C. And there's another one as well, where you have to collect and deliver power cells. And I preferred the objective game type personally, as the gameplay felt a little bit more open and focused upon team attacks. So Bleeding the Edge feels really, really good. And once you get to grips with the combos and knowing when to attack, it feels super good. The game's got plenty of personality to go with it, but it's unclear at this early stage whether that kind of personality is gonna great over time. The look and feel is really, really Overwatch. So from the bright colors uh, to the character select and setup, and you've got the little plus signs all over the uh, screen as well. You know, it really, really looks like Overwatch. It's definitely Overwatch-inspired, but why not? I mean, it's been really, really successful. Bleeding Edge does differentiate itself though uh, with the brawling and the gameplay. From the relatively short amount of time I had with the game throughout the beta, I enjoyed what I played. You know, I didn't really know too much about this game before, but I can now say I'm really looking forward to the full game releasing towards the end of March 2020. So Ninja Theory has previously bought us Devil May Cry and Hellblade, and Xbox Game Studios picked up the company to be part of their first party group of companies who Xbox hopes can be able to turn the tide in the next generation with original and engaging titles hopefully like Bleeding Edge. So the first public beta was this weekend and uh, however it's likely to be back early March before the final release of March the 24th so you can check out more about Bleeding Edge on their website and uh, it was developed by Ninja Theory, it's going to be available for Xbox and PC and it's coming out on the 24th of March 2020. But what did you think of the Bleeding Edge beta? Let me know, sign up to Patreon on patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. That's it for my first impressions of the Bleeding Edge beta. Next up we got Dead Cells the Bad Seed. Dead Cells is the kind of game that can get its claws into you. I ended up thinking about Dead Cell runs while I was doing the washing up, while I was on the tube and while I was trying to go to sleep. Now with the release of the game's first paid DLC, The Bad Seed, it's time to start thinking about Dead Cells again. As a quick recap, Dead Cells is a roguelike metroidvania game developed by Motion Twin and levels are procedurally generated keeping the game feel fresh each time with random platforms, obstacles, enemies and items. Combat in the game feels really, really good too, with a fluid and fast feel to the action. A key part of the game is how good the game feels. I mean, it's really, really, really fantastic. The pixel art is beautiful and fluid. Since its initial release, it's won many awards, including Best Indie Game, at 2018's Golden Joysticks Award, Best Action Game at the Game Awards 2018, and it was nominated for Best Indie Game 2. Dead Cells The Bad Seed introduces two new levels and a new boss. The new levels offer variation, and the boss battle is a whole lot of fun. It's fairly simple to access too. you just need two items, the Vine Rune and Teleportation Rune. These can be accessed in the first few levels of the game, so if you don't have these, then you'll be able to pick them up fairly easily with a little bit of exploring and satisfying boss battling. To get to the first new area, the Dilapidated Arboretum. Find the vines in the prisoner's quarters, head up there and there's a sarcophagus which you can use to teleport. So make your way through the enemies and you'll search the pockets of a new arrival in the prison, the Gardener. Once you've made your way through some jumping puzzles, then it's onto the dilapidated Arboretum. So the theme for the DLC is gardens, vines, fungi and man-eating plants. There's new powers in the game too, allowing you to create kamikaze mushroom buddies who's gonna lunge into attacks without a second thought. So once you're through the first zone, then it's onto the Morris of the Banished. Here you'll find devastatingly difficult dart wielding enemies who take you down from 20 paces. It does make you aware of your surroundings and you'll be ducking and diving in all directions. The Moraster of the Banished is definitely harder than the previous dilapidated Arboretum, so do bear that in mind. The Bad Seed also contains the first ever two handed weapon, a huge scythe which allows you to slice through enemies like a hot knife through butter. You can also play the enemy at their own game in the Morass of the Banished by getting a dart gun. So Mama Tick is the boss at the end of the DLC zones and you'll need all the skills you've learnt along the way for the multi-eyed boss. Old Mama Tick isn't too hard but she'll put up a fight together with her little mini bosses. So once you finish the DLC zones you can slip back into a run like normal and continue through the zones of Dead Cells. Whereas Rise of Giant was focused on in-game content, this DLC opens up early in the game and provides a catalyst for players to either jump back in or try something new. Evil Empire has spawned off Motion Twin and successfully continued the momentum of Dead Cells in this DLC, providing a natural continuation of the game. Whereas Rise of Giant felt made for hardcore endgame players, the bad seed feels accessible and welcoming. Dead Cells the Bad Sea is the perfect opportunity to jump back into the world if you've put it down, or a great new entry point if you're not too familiar with the game. So the game was developed by Motion Twin and Evil Empire. It's available on PC, Nintendo Switch, PS4, and maybe even Xbox as well, I need to check that one out and uh, this dlc was originally released on the 11th of february 2020 but what do you think of dead cells the bad seed let me know by signing up to patreon on patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or sign up to discord and that link is down below in the show notes well if you're enjoying this week in video games podcast then head on over to itunes and leave us a nice review helps get the word out about the podcast so if you've got access to iTunes I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and if you look at the link down in the show notes I've got a special link to a a reviews website and uh, that'll take care of it all for you and don't forget This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast the YouTube channel has got the entire archive of the podcast as well as dedicated reviews, interviews and features and a whole load of Destiny 2 content as well so search This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all that latest content and if you want to see anything specific on YouTube send me an email to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com it would be great to hear from you Next up, I was lucky enough to sit down with Beidi Guo, one of the creators of Luna the Shadow Dust, and we got to talk about the game in the build-up to launch, so let's go to that interview now. Welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with Beidi Guo from Lantern Studio. Welcome, Beidi. How's it going?
1: Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good, thank you.
0: I'm pretty good, yeah, I'm pretty good. And it must be getting up to a really, really busy time because I know we've got uh, Luna the Shadow Dust. It's coming out on February the 13th, is that correct?
1: Yes, next week, Thursday. Not that many time to go.
0: And how, how's the journey been? Because the, the last time I saw you was April last year at uh, EGX Res. Yes. And it was, really, it was great to meet you. But uh, tell me about your journey since that point.
1: Oh, uh, I think from last year's res at that time, uh, the game is actually almost uh, landing towards the end of development. So we thought the wrapping up of developing this game is gonna be quite quick, but nope. <laughs> that uh, there's there there's a lot of things which is uh, involving marketing and debugging, and optimization of some of the last bit of the game was taking longer than we expected. Um, so, yeah, so since then we kind of... Um, actually, it's it's more busy, busier than before. Before you can purely focus on, you know, just the development. But after game is done, we have to work with uh, all sorts of different kinds of people, like from our publishers uh, to promote our game, to get all the store ready. To reach out to the press so um, yes it's definitely more work and um but it it's quite new challenges for game developers like us because we, we know how to design a game but we are absolutely new towards the the new marketing thing so we have to all learn on the go uh, but it's great that we get a lot of help from the community, from, from you know our fans and everyone. So uh, finally, we're a year later now. We think the game is almost, ha, almost hundred percent ready to go now. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, there's a there's a few days left to get that last yes. few percentage ready. So yes, yes. <laughs> and um, so, for those who don't know, could you tell us a bit about Luna, the Shadow Dust?
1: Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, Luna the Shadow Dust is a hand animated puzzle adventure game without any written dialogue, featuring do character control and uh, wordless 2D cinematic storytelling. We have been developing this game since uh, 2016, so uh, it has been four years. So next week, finally, it's going to be out. The game is about uh, a young boy and his mysterious companion, two of them they will be entering this uh, ancient tower together. Both them and the players will experience a unique adventure that requires both courage and uh, determination. It's also a story about um, how you're balancing the energy of light and the dark in their uh, fantasy, mysterious world of Luna.
0: And the game—it it, it looks absolutely beautiful. The the way Thank you. you, the character design, the 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 animations, the and and the art in the game almost um, reminded me—it's um, it, an old um, book and cartoon in the UK. It's a very famous one called the Snowman. Um, oh, the
1: Snowman! Yes.
0: And uh, yeah, the art is absolutely absolutely wonderful. Um, so you mentioned there, um, there's a story of uh, a little boy and his kind of mysterious character. So, so where's this little boy from?
1: Um, you mean the idea of this character?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think um, it's quite funny that uh, if we if we talk about like uh, back into 2015, that's like when I just. Uh, that year, I uh, left my formal job, so I started to do my freelancing job. So I had a bit of a free time um, to, to do some of the projects I'm interested in. I'm a huge puzzle game fan myself, and I like drawing, you know, because I'm an illustrator. So I thought, okay, if I, I don't know how to code, but probably I draw some ideas and the sketches about a possible game idea that I might like. So I started uh I did some doodling and the first ever of the character is actually a, a rabbit instead of a boy a real rabbit looking character so I was designing so I saw okay then I need a location for this puzzle game to take part the the idea of this tall tower this ancient tower was actually from one of my very early student film that I worked in 2000 seven when I was still in uni. Um, so I kind of combined with these two elements that I really like, a bunny-like character and uh, an ancient tower. And also the moon, the, um, the symbol of the moon was also uh, I borrowed from that short animation. So um, I just want to see what's going to happen if I combine all of these characters together. So I did a very quick draft. Um, design some basic level. Then I show it to my friend who at the time works in uh, Ubisoft Shanghai. He's a game programmer himself, Fox. He's our uh, project manager in Latin studio. So, and he saw, okay, this is interesting. And uh, I got some spare time. So probably I can, you know, throw some code in and uh, let's see if we can just make something fun for ourselves. That's how the game originally started. It was quite early on. Um, but then we kind of, uh, that, that game was, remained as a just idea for a very long time. We didn't really get into it or start to develop it into anything uh, serious until um, Fox started showing this idea to some of his colleagues. And, you know, everyone's working in Ubisoft, so everyone's throwing game, a proper game ideas into this uh, into this project they they told us that probably you guys can you know just make into a demo and then a playable demo so let's see what we can took from there And that's when I changed the character from a bunny into uh, a humanoid uh, character with the bunny ears like he got his hood. So um, that's I think w- where when we decide, properly start to thinking what's the is gonna be, who are these characters, what's their background story. And then from that point, the, the proper game development started.
0: Oh, that's oh, that's that's really nice. I, I, and uh, as well as the little boy character, his his little friend who he um, helps in the first kind of um, few minutes in the game, he's kind of trapped under some yes. some rubble, and uh, he's he's a really interesting um, design. Is he really like like a little animal of some kind?
1: Uh, yes, we we kept this design quite vague, like you can't really tell whether it's a cat or a dog or loads of people has been given so so many nicknames to this character, which we really like, that I remember people keeping calling it uh, Chubby Pikachu, something like this, <laughs> <laughs> Chubby Spiky Pikachu. So there, there's a, a lot of really funny names and we collect all of them um, throughout the four years and probably we're gonna have a huge list of all these nicknames that people come up with uh, for this character later on. Uh, so yes, we, we want to keep this um, creature not really like earth earthly creature like. So you know that they're in a fantasy world. This is mm-hmm. something uh, unique to to their world. Also, um, without revealing too much of the story plot, plot that um, if player finish the game, then they will also understand why this creature has this specific design it has a reason uh-huh. it's not just for the look of it um there is a reason why he looks like this so uh-huh. i i can't i can't say anymore so yeah. but uh but yeah I, i'm really looking forward for people's reaction when they find out
0: and, and and the world itself you mentioned um uh and uh it's kind of um I've read that it says, so behind a veil of reality lies an enchanted world. So it's it's almost like this boy and this creature, or the boy has stepped into this kind of magical sort of um, fantasy world. Could you tell us about the a little bit more about the world that they inhabit?
1: Uh, yes. So um, it is a fantasy-based world, and in that world you have magic. So magic is one of the main power that people use over there. And um, um, it is a tricky question because I feel like if I, if I, I, I there's, a re- there's a chance that I, I might yeah, tell you, the story. You, you, it, you it, don't yeah, want to give away the story. story <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm still trying to see what I can talk about. So um, what That's I okay. can say is actually that the, the setting of this world was an inspiration from um, a fantasy novel that I really like um it's called RC Quartet by okay. Ursula Le Guin so
0: i love Ursula K Le Guin
1: oh that's like one of my favorite writers so, so good the the story i was um was hugely inspired by the especially the first book the wizard of rc yeah. so what i what i really like about the setting um of the fantasy world there is like you don't really have um like a pure evil force versus all the good, all the heroes, Um, because that's quite of the common setting in most of the game. You are the hero, you go and fight with this, you know, evil guy in the end, then the hero win. So that that, that feels quite one dimensional to me, but I really like about what she portrayed, uh, what's the magician, their role in the world is very similar to almost like the Taoism thinking from mm-hmm. ancient China. So it's more about the balance, like the, the powerful the mage you become, the less magic you use because you're aware that everything is interconnected in a lot deeper level. You can summon like a storm here to help you to sail your ship. But this storm can cause a flood in a uh, faraway Iceland that you don't know. So um, I really like that concept that um, magic, is not um, a kind of just special power that uh, the magician or the mage choose to use in loads of the fantasy world. Say for example, Harry Potter, people just, you know, cast spells (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, everywhere. So I really like she actually took this concept into another level that what will be the consequences for, for the world that have so many magical power flying around and summoning out of nowhere. So that's one of the main inspiration of our game that we want to create a magical world, but within that world, those characters, their main task or their responsibility, it's not just fighting of evils. Maybe there's not even an evil there, but a more more about how to balance things up when when the balance was broken
0: mm. and um so it's it it's it's a beautiful looking game with a with a mysterious and enticing story um could you tell us a bit more about the mechanics in the game and um how the you know how you kind of bring along the player
1: uh yes so of uh, the the main mechanic is written in the title, it's point-and-click game. So uh, it's quite easy. You use the mouse, control the two characters. You can switch between them anytime you like, uh, to, that uh, they can cooperate in a way to solve the puzzle together. Each of them, later on during the game, you will discover they have different abilities to do certain things. Also, the whole game was um, connect through a series of puzzles, each level, is like a puzzle so people need to uh, solve the puzzle in order to progress and every now and then we will have like cut things in order to tell the story a little bit more push the story uh, forward a bit and review a bit more about the background of the story the lore of the world and uh, what what had happened um, in the beginning that caused the whole adventure to to start and uh, we don't have any text or dialogue in this game, so we we hopefully people can come up with their own series as well along with the with the storytelling um, yeah, so that's the basic mechanics of of the game
0: that's really nice and um could you so you mentioned that um, there's quite a lot of puzzles uh, in the game yes. could could you um Describe your approach to kind of puzzle design, and I'm sure that finding that balance between you don't want to make it too easy, but you don't want to make it too hard for kind of pizza, so people are kind of blocked off. Could you tell us a bit about how you came up with the puzzles?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, it is a very good question. We get asked a lot about how we approach towards the puzzles. Uh, funny thing is, in the very beginning, when we just started developing this game. We originally want to design a quite puzzle-heavy game that more appeals towards hardcore puzzle game lovers, because we all like that kind of genre, that particular kind of game. But later on, during the development, uh, the more we show our games to our friends and families, and they share the demos to their friends, we realize that this game does not only attract uh, the people who love puzzle because of the visual i think the animation and the character are quite likable so more and more people like even yeah. like my parents they don't play game they they see our puzzle they they got interested they they sit down and uh, and watch me play the game so we realized that probably we need to change the way we design puzzles that this game has a potential to attract a broader audience than we thought we should not limit it ourselves um, but also as you said we we don't just want to you know drop down the difficulty of the puzzle just to appeal as much player as possible so we designed a like a curve a difficult curve of the puzzle through the game in the beginning all the puzzles are more uh, easy or like or you can help with some basic tutorials, so you get to understand how to use certain ability of the characters. Then towards the middle, the puzzles are getting more complicated, a uh, bit difficult, so it requires people to sit down and uh, think about it. Um, we, we hope that when, we hope that majority of the player um, can reach the middle point of our game, that's where we're going to have a big story plot twist or something. Mm-hmm. We hope by, by this, it encourage people to carry, carry on. Although the, the puzzle is going to get a bit more difficult, but the curiousness of, they really want to find out how's the story going can help them to, you know, ch- can, can challenge, uh, people can challenge themselves to, to solve more puzzles towards the end. And, uh, Our puzzle, um, we also designed the puzzle in a way it's just not hard because there's no point just to, you know, trap your players, you know, (laughs) What's what's the fun of that? We want people to realize the puzzle is part of the story as well, rather than just you get into a level, I give you a very difficult math equation to solve. That's not the kind of puzzle we want to design at all.
0: But <laughs> well, I, I thought you struck the balance really, really well. I was um, I was in the in the kitchen in the early part of the games where you, you have to um, um, produce the different food types for the. Yes. I think there's a rat who kind of um, eats the food, and um, yeah, I don't want to give away um, <laughs> give away the puzzle, but I, I thought that was a fantastic puzzle. Um, So I think you found the balance really, really well there. And I mentioned before, and uh, we talked about the art style. It looks like a kind of picture book in motion. Um, Could you tell us a bit about the art style and your inspiration behind that?
1: Uh, Yes, definitely. As you mentioned earlier, like Snowman. Snowman is one of my favorite book and uh, animation. So I I really, since I was young, I really like... um, reading picture books, graphic novel, I still read a lot of them. Uh, One of my favorite picture book um, during these years is produced by an Australian illustrator called Sean Tan. The book is called The Rival. Arrival. That's the entire book. It's like Snowman that um, the story told through a picture of picture, very, very small column of images. Completely, without any dialogue as well. But I find by telling story in this way, it slows down my speed of reading. That sometimes when you read comics, when you have speech bubble, you read all those speech bubbles, then you you know turn pages very quickly. But I find myself enjoy more, or I I do look into those every each pictures more carefully. Uh, when I read this kind of graphic novel without any text. So this is definitely one of the big inspiration for us to create a game that don't have any dialogue. So it kind of forces people to look, to really look at a game, to look at the surroundings, to listen to the music more than you normally do when you play a game. We we realize that because, especially for gamers, that the people who play, a sort of game. We kind of build up a habit that we when we start the game, we immediately go and look for those start button. Mm. So whatever behind the start button, we know it's a background, it's intro, not very important. What important is the start button? Then when we start the game, we want to immediately go somewhere or click something. So this kind of habit it's something that I kind of want to reduce in a, in a good way, that we, we obviously we want people to know what I'm trying to do in each level, but we hopefully by reducing, oh, m- removing the text and reducing the UI design, like in our game interface, you only have one button that you can click, which is the switch button between two characters. Other than that, we don't have any menu, we don't have any floating bar, nothing pops out. Um, in the middle of the game. We even removed the inventory system that normally all the point-and-click adventure game had. Um, we had a huge debate within our team about whether we want to remove it. Because if we have it, it can make the game design a lot easier. You, you collect a different kind of object then you can later on use them to interact, to help the develop uh, the, the character to solve puzzle. But now we don't even have it. So the character have to directly interact with all the je- all the other objects in the game directly. They require a huge amount of pre planning. We have to really think where and how the character and this object can interact. If it's too high, does it need to uh, is the character need to step on something to reach the button? And if this animation is required, can we later on reuse this animation in some other level? Because otherwise it's going to be a waste if mm. you just show one set of animation one time in one level. So it, it gives us a huge, a lot of extra work that we have to think about. But towards the end, we think it's a good call that we decide not to uh, introduce a, like too much of an interface player really find themselves immerse themselves into the game experience and uh, it's by if you almost feel like reading a picture book when you when you're playing the game and if player can feel that way they feel like they are watching a movie or or something then we are more than happy because we 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 think we achieved what we want
0: i was just going to say the when when i was playing the game I, i felt Really focused and really immersed in the game, and I think that's a that's a testament to the art style and the and the design, but also the music in the game the music is is really really uh, emotive and um, brings you along in the game. Uh, could you tell us about um, the music and uh, um, did, did you work with any particular artist or, or anyone like
1: that uh yes, our uh, music composer Susie. She's our fourth member of London Studio team. I work quite closely with her, um, like, uh, almost every day. Um, The thing is, uh, we don't have any, like, tutorial or floating panel to guide people to do some stuff. So all we have is visual and music. So music plays a huge part in our game. Also sound effect design as well. So uh, when we finished a level, I will show it to Susie without telling her how to solve the puzzle. So she has to completely find out herself. By doing that, she understand how long this level is going to take for average player. And if the music piece needs to have different uh, stage, like uh, because the puzzle can, they might have one or two puzzle you need to solve to, to finish the the level. So she might want to design two uh, different sets of the music that when you finish the first puzzle, the music changes. So subconsciously, you f- you know you achieved something that you have progressed, but it's not that obvious. Um, so it's not like you have a thumbs up from shows up in the game say, yeah, second stage, but by change the tune or speed up the music just a little bit or give you some different uh like probably shift from minor to major I, i'm just randomly speaking but that's the that's the idea of uh what susie will do so she will play the whole game then um then she's gonna she she talks uh she tell ta- uh she talked to me about what she feels about this game whether it's a difficult one or it can be uh, a easy one, so if the puzzle is fairly easy, she can throw more melodies into this level, because um, but the player will not require that much of a, like, 100% focused attention towards the puzzle. So we want to create a more relaxing environment. But if the puzzle is quite hard or, like, logic-based, you have to think a lot, you have to focus, um, you have to move from places to places, and if the music is very loud going on in the background, it's gonna annoy the players. The players might not notice or realize that, but it will it will affect them. It will make them feel uneasy or anxious um not in a good way. So if the level is like that, Susie will tune down the melody it's gonna be we call them the pad it's more like ongoing, very low um not the melody wise doesn't change too much that kind of music piece going on throughout the whole game, so your brain receives less music information, so it creates more room for you to focus in on the puzzle itself. Uh, but also, we still have some music here, here and there to you know give you a hint or emotionally affect you in a way so you don't feel really bored, you don't feel like this level is dull in a way. So there are loads of this kind of fine tuning in each level we have to discuss before uh, Suzy starts to compose the, the full piece. So that's like the music design for, for the level. Um, when we compose music for cup things, we have a lot of cup things throughout the game. We have in total 23 minutes long cup thing so um, music plays a huge part of, of this cutscene. Uh, I will usually show references. I will, we, we both collect loads of references we think that can deliver the same kind of emotion that this particular piece want to deliver. I will show, uh, we, we look for inspirations everywhere from like Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Journey, uh, Ori of the Blind Forest. I think these are the two games that influences us uh, the most in the music composing side. But all kinds of music. I watched a lot of um, animation before, so I will try to think, okay, this is the similar emotion I felt when I watched that particular episode. So I, I will show that the episode to Susie so she can use them as, as reference. Uh, yeah, so we work really closely with each other and um, whenever she completes a piece, she will show it to the whole team we all discuss and give us our idea, whether we think it suits the level, whether we instantly like it, or is there anything we find um, irritating or that she might need to adjust, but we respect her professional uh, decision in the end because that's, that's what we do. We, we, we share our opinions, but in the end, on music or um, like design or programming side, each of us who responsibility, uh, responsible for this task, will have the final say.
0: Well, I, th- I think you've, you've done a fantastic job. Not only Thank with you. the the art and, and the music, I, I think it's a it's a wonderful game. Um, I'm I'm only about halfway through the game at the moment, so I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting to the end. But and um, well, I mean. I'm, I think the, the last thing to say about Luna yeah. the Shadow Dust is how and uh, where can players get their hands on the game?
1: Oh, yes. Um, the game will be, you can find the game on Steam, on gog.com, on Humboldt Store, and uh, at the moment, Mac App Store. These are the four major platforms. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you can find our game on February the 13th from, from next week. Obviously, we were trying to cover as much different platform as possible. But as a small team like us, we can only do probably one at a time. Uh, Nintendo Switch was a huge demand. We've been asking a lot from our player whether we're going to have our game on Nintendo or not. So it's definitely one of the platforms we're looking forward to to porting to the next. So after the game launch, we still have a lot of work to do. We try to bring Luna on as as many platforms as possible
0: well good luck for the launch I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fantastic um, thank I've, you so I've, much I've had, a, I've had a great time with it and I remember seeing it last April and when, when, I, when I spoke to you at EGX Resed and I was really really looking forward to getting my hands on the game and I can say it's really really good fun and so everyone out there listening should go and check it out and if, um, if people want to um, check you out on social media what's, uh, how, can they, how can they find you and follow you
1: we are everywhere. <laughs> we, we, we know that people have their preference of their own social media, but you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. We have YouTube channel. In our YouTube channel, we have loads of like a behind the scene, behind the development interview. So if you like that, you can check it out. We, we are on Reddit as well. We have a Discord uh, server. Um, obviously, Steam community team is based based so yeah basically we're everywhere if you go to any of our social media channel you can find the links uh, with other channels so you can you know choose your favorite one and uh, uh, we are a small team basically if you're talking to anyone on any of the social media either gonna be me or our social media manager George or Susie so it's not we, we don't have a huge team to manage uh, all the social parts so you're going to be talk to one of us directly, most likely. And we're happy to answer any question you ask.
0: That's awesome. And I'll, uh, I'll, link, um, I'll link those down in the description and the show notes of the podcast uh, for you. Uh, but that, that's absolutely fantastic. So good luck for the launch.
1: Thank and
0: you very much. I wanted to move slightly away from Luna, the Shadow Dust, and talk about Lantern Studio, if that's okay. Yes,
1: yes, that's no problem.
0: And uh, so could you tell us more uh, about the team at Lantern Studio?
1: Uh, Yes, London Studio is a very small team. We have four people on the team. Uh, Me, I'm the art director. Fox is our project manager. Wong Guan, who coded the whole game. And Susie is composing the music and uh, some of the soundtrack for our game. Also, we have our fifth member, which is George. He's um, a UK-based social media specialist who helps us to promote our game on a marketing side. that's a very small team and um, we, me and Fox, we were good friends since high school. So we know each other for a long time. Um, after we, after in 2014, 2015, I, I showed my idea to him. Uh, he introduced me with his colleague at the time, Wang Guan, and also Susie, whose husband is working in Ubisoft Shanghai at the time. So we kind of... Uh, Need to thank Ubisoft <laughs> in a way that connects all of us together, and uh, uh, yeah. So and it's it's very lucky for us because we have so many friends who works in the industry. So we whenever we ha- we have a demo, we have some technical difficulty. We kind of always have someone to ask the professionals to to help us along. So um, yeah. So I really want to thank Ubisoft <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, we all met in 2015 and I think from 2016, we officially uh, started the project, the project by launching a, a Kickstarter campaign because we realized that if we want to make this into a proper game, we don't have any funding, uh, so a, a crowdfunding could be a good start. So we had a Kickstarter campaign at the time and we raised some money for us to kickstart the project but we we are a bit naive at the time we originally thought we can finish this game in one year which is (laughs) nope and uh uh so by the end of the first year like the the end of 2017 we realized that okay we we might need to extend the production time for another year But still, uh, you know, the the whole game took like four years to finish. So we we had a lot of difficult financial decisions have to make throughout the years that whether we want to make a slightly smaller version of this game or we want to just, you know, grab this opportunity to to just go for it, to throw all our savings into this game. But we can, uh, by doing that, we can reach the full potential of a game that we really want to make. Um, so we, we choose the second option that we all sat down and we reviewed our financial options uh, to see whether we have enough money to, to pull us through like three to four years full development time. Um, also during this time, two of us, me and Wang Guang, we realized that we can't do it part time because at, at, in the beginning, in the, the first one of the first two years, I'm still doing some of the... A freelancing commission work on my side to to earn some money to contribute to this game then we realized it's going to take forever if we do it part time in the evening so we both quit our um, day job we purely focusing on this game so we can get it done as soon as possible uh, it is a huge gamble i will say now i think about it we were really really lucky because we heard so much story about from other team that uh, they have fantastic project, they have such a good potential of the game, but because of the financial restriction, they either have to cut their game into first part and sometimes the second part, unfortunately, never get to make, or like they're restricted by their investors, so they might want to push the game out to the market as soon as possible by cutting some of the original story, uh, cutting some of the design. So... If we compare ourselves with with, with the the uh, reality of the indie game, that we consider ourselves really, really lucky, that for some reason we don't know how we we <laughs> manage to um, not sleep on the street, but also finish our game in the end.
0: That's that's a that's a fantastic story. I um, am. One thing I was really struck by um, when we met before, you were you, you were telling me about how you kind of come up with ideas for the game, and it's a very dem- democratic kind of process. Uh, uh, you, you touched on it before, and um, when we were talking about the music with Susie. Yes. Um, so I was wondering, could you tell us a bit more about how you come up with ideas in the game, and that process?
1: Oh yes. Um, in the beginning. We have, like in the very beginning of before we fully uh, explore the potential of of Luna, we all sit down and everyone just to, we have a folder, it's called Crazy Ideas. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's funny when I look at some of the ideas in that folder, we still feel like, oh, it's actually a good idea that if we manage to to make it in the game, but most of them didn't. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have this folder called Crazy Ideas. We just come up crazy ideas, like without thinking whether it's gonna mechanically fit or how we're gonna make the story um, um, understandable. Like we, we don't think about anything. We just think what can be fun or can be really cool for for Luna. So we had a lot of ideas collected in the in the folder. Um, after we have this brainstorming section, we handpick each of them out that we think okay this one sounds more (laughs) plausible this is not that uh it, it is challenging in technical wise but we we might be able to solve that and uh if there are some game idea which is like visually very challenging uh i will think about whether we can find any way we can you know cleverly solve that out that goes with everyone so if this puzzle this idea is a technical challenging one. We will ask our developers, do you think it's achievable? Um, but mo- most likely they will say, yeah, we, we will give a shot. And that's, that's how we do things, immature. So we, we don't know what we are facing. Um, so we, we handpick a couple of ideas. Probably there will be 30, 40 of them, and then we narrow them down. Some of the ideas later on merge together, become a one bit more complicated level. And some simple idea, we just leave them as as they what it is. Um, some of the ideas start with visual, like they only have pictures or concept art. Some ideas start with just the uh, me- uh, mechanic equations. So um, you can tell, I think probably from the player can tell in the game what kind which field puzzles are more visually um, referenced those are most likely designed by me and uh, if there's any puzzle which is uh, logically very challenging or like it require quite complicated um, maneuvers or you know steps that probably designed by our developers so we and also we have music related uh, puzzle as well so susie plays a big part in in the game um, so we this is a game that uh not just designed by one people uh one one person like we we don't have any role in our team called the game level designer we we don't have it so everyone contribute their part in in designing the levels of of luna we we had difficulties as well because by doing that sometimes our levels difficulty uh it's not consistent some of them become very difficult some of them become quite easy and um uh, different people see see it differently say i'm a very very visual based person i i find visual based puzzle very easy to solve i just instantly see things so but it will be difficult for say our programmer They, they think the puzzle in a different way so we have to also test our puzzles to our puzzle design uh with our friends and families uh some of the puzzle i think is really easy so obvious i was like how can you not see that but then i realized (laughs) only i can see it because i designed it (laughs) so we, we want we want to um we don't want to tunnel vision um in our individual game designing whenever we we finish a puzzle we have to test it we have to show it to as many people as possible to have an average reaction then we know what's the What was the game, what was the puzzle really like when it's out there for average uh, gamers to to experience?
0: And um, you you must have um, learned loads during these last few years. Um, You mentioned you you, you started out um, uh, as an illustrator um, and the, the kind of challenge of taking on that role of marketing and promotion and all all things like that so what's what's been the most valuable lesson you think you've learned over the last uh, or throughout the project
1: i think the most valuable lesson we learned is that um do not restrict yourself by your professional knowledge of certain things um like we we had so many challenges like technique wise or just we we just don't know how to reach to our audience so like the, the problem like this but uh we have the magical tool called google you can just <laughs> google it. <laughs> <laughs> it it sounds bizarre but we later on find out that's what everyone who solve any questions um you, you have youtube you have like tons of free tutorial um, I think we are a generation really blessed by the technique in uh, the good technique in, the, in this way because any question you you possibly have has probably has already answered by some other people in some forum. You just need to know how to find it. So um, yeah, so that's how we we solve things. Like I still like I, I'm illustrator, but we have to make say. Uh, trailers for our game i have no idea how to make trailers so i just type in google literally how do you make trailers and then you you'll have people who teach you how they make trailers and they teach you what software to use say okay i never use that software so i type on google how do you use certain software it breaks down your your question and your task to very detailed requirement so we just we just learn it. It's like going to a millions different classes throughout the uh, four years for each of us, not, not just me, like our programmer. They probably uh, don't know how to, say, apply for a Unity Pro license or, you know, something like that. It's not really a coding uh, problem, but something, if you want to publish game, you have to consider. So we have to learn that ourselves. Uh, Susie have to learn how to use a software she's not familiar with, to compose the music to put into the to put the music into our, our game. Also we have to learn all sorts of copyright things we have to be aware of. We consult our legal advisor, like if if we can we use this particular soundtrack sound soundtrack even it says it's free to use on the internet. What was the policy? Do we have to display their names in our credit or something? Like all this kind of thing. We have no idea. But we have uh we, we are confident we ha- we can find answers in Google <laughs> <laughs> or, or this or, or just purely ask our friends in the in the industry. So yes we we learned a lot more than we can possibly imagine um four years late four years earlier and uh we we think this is how um people nowadays can make amazing things uh just from home. We are like so the restriction of technology and uh, professional boundary are so uh, almost disappearing now, so as long as you you know exactly what to ask, you can always find uh, find the answers somewhere there.
0: and um so with um with the kind of um the mass knowledge out there, it's becoming a lot easier um for um uh, people to kind of make games and I guess with that there's a lot more games out there uh, I wanted to um, touch on a bit of the sort of the, the challenge in 2020 for a, mm-hmm. um, an independent studio like yourself um, what's what's the biggest challenge do you think
1: I think the ch- challenge is because there are more and more people able to make games by themselves um, so there are a lot more games out there in the market, regardless scale size. You have AAA company making, producing hundreds of games out. You have indie community individuals making games. So how do you really stand out? How do you reach your core um, audience? It's become the main challenges for us. Um, In order to help us reach out more, we have publishers. So that definitely helps. So you you can publish a game by yourself, but without the help of publish with the help of publisher, you can reach uh, a a lot broader audience, and they have the connection with press. So if press talks about your game, uh, the publicity of your game uh, increase. So that's definitely very very helpful. Also, I think it's reach out to just talk to people. Um, Brings you closer to your audience. So they don't feel like oh you are in studio, but they're like oh you are your baby I know you I talk to you um, um, either through like um, Twitter messages or face-to-face on game Convention, so when they feel like they are talking to a real human being behind the game You get obviously more um knowledges or stories behind the development of the game and you you get closer to them you you get to ask them questions like what do you really think about this level and then rather than just looking at the data you collected um, from google analysts or or something so i think that's really really helpful uh, for any in individual team to to promote their game that um I know it's almost impossible for me to talk to everyone at, a, at the same time, but I try to talk to people who come to our stand to, to try our demo uh, as much as possible.
0: Oh, that's, that's, that's great. And uh, so what's, I mean, it's, it's been a really you know, busy few years for uh, Lantern Studio. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what's, what's coming up next?
1: Uh, so far? uh our plan still all our production plan still evolves around luna this game because after the game launch we're probably gonna have a lot of feedback then according to the feedback we may need to update our build in order to make the build absolutely stable or fix some bug hopefully not (laughs) that um that it it might occur and then we're gonna focus in on porting our game to different platforms, as I said before. Um, also, we are going to be start making some merchandise for, for our game, Like because this game has a very rich visual and has a lot of very nice original soundtracks. So we definitely want to produce a physical art book for this game, also a, a, a music item. album. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, I need to search, how do you make book now <laughs> 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 on Google? Literally, this, this is my everyday challenge. <laughs> we have an idea, we think we're going to go for it, then we're going to go ask Google how to do it. <laughs> yes, so, uh, yeah, this is some, at the moment, um, these are the priority of our task. Um, and definitely, we want to uh, promote our game uh, in the in the first couple of months to as much people as possible, we're probably going to go to certain Gamescom uh, game invention like EGX Reese again this year to, to show, should show more people uh, our game. Um, then uh, probably, hopefully within a couple of months we can have some income because we are absolutely broke at the moment. Mm-hmm. So if we have some uh, money comes in, then we can use those budgets to to think whether we can start to think about uh, a new idea, or we can make this game even better, or do like say design merchandise, produce merchandise for this game. Yeah, so uh, we will take it from there, and let's see how this game goes. We hope we hope it goes well.
0: I think um if if there was a if there was a plushie of the little character who follows the boy around. Um Oh
1: just, I I want that as well, personally.
0: <laughs> just just tell me where to send my money and I'll just stop.
1: <laughs> we we will definitely let everyone know on all our social media channel when it's out.
0: Well, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting stuff in the future. And, um, Baydi, I've taken up enough of your time today. I really, really appreciate um, you um, talking to us about Luna, the Shadow Dust, uh, Lantern Studio, and I really wish you all the best of luck for February the 13th when the game is coming out. And uh, just one final time, if you want to shout yes. out your social media and uh, so how people can um, find and or find out about the game.
1: Yes, you can find us, London Studio, find out everything about Luna, the Shadow Dust on Twitter. We have YouTube channel, and you can search our game's name on Steam. You will find our page. You can join our community, and from there, you have all sorts of links that you can click. And um, last but not least, the game will be out next Thursday. February 13th. So if you, if you like our game, please go and download and play it.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. And I'll, uh, good luck for the launch
1: thank you it's absolutely a pleasure for me to be on your show and uh, I I enjoyed our talk enormously thank you so much for having me
0: well that was me there talking to Beidi Guo and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on this week in video games really really appreciate and good luck for everything to do with Luna the Shadow Dust and do let me know when you release that plushie of the tiny little cat character I really really want it (laughs) well next up let's get to my review of Luna the Shadow Dust Luna: The Shadow Dust is a beautiful looking game, and it reminded me of The Snowman which is an old book and since turned into an animated short. So Luna's got many of the same qualities, it's a beautiful hand drawn aesthetic and great music. If you're a fan of point and click adventure games then this might be for you. In Luna The Shadow Dust you play as a small boy who falls into a mysterious dreamlike world. In this world stands a tall tower and it's your job to get to the top and solve the mysteries along the way. As you progress through the tower there's puzzles to solve which are weaved into the beautiful artwork of the game. There's a variety of puzzles in the game which range from fairly simple to downright devilish. These puzzles can be a lot of fun, for example when you enter a kitchen early on in the game you have to produce various meals for a rat to eat only to use the subsequent effects to help you get out of the room. There's a magic in Luna the Shadow Dust that should be shared. It's beautiful from a visual and audio point of view, and the puzzles are inventive and the mystery in the game pulls you along and motivates you to find out more. The UI in the game is really stripped back. There's no inventory or complicated combinations of items which you see in other point and click adventure games. I did appreciate this ambition to keep things simple however finding that balance of just the right amount to keep the game flowing and not giving the audience enough is a tough balance to maintain. The artwork in the game is something to behold. The artists are really clearly talented and you can see the love and skill put into the game. The artwork makes the world come to life with delicate touches producing a game world I want to fall in love with. The music complements the game perfectly, reinforcing the mysterious world and filling in where the UI is lacking, giving a positive and or negative reinforcement when needed. Both work together really, really well. There's an inconsistency behind the puzzles which comes through in the final product, which is my only real negative point for the game. I'm a huge fan of puzzlers like this but I found myself going from one easy puzzle to getting absolutely stumped in the next one. It may just be me but this was my only point of frustration I found with Luna the Shadow Dust. Another challenge in the game is that it doesn't really have any dialogue, meaning communicating comes entirely through the visual and audio cues, so this is a big challenge to set yourself and players and sometimes it falls a little short, either with not enough information or a lack of clarity. This simple approach does work in moments in the game, providing with pure moments of joy. Running through a room and understanding the puzzle mechanics relating to the doors, the pictures of the moon and which door it relates to was a real aha moment for me and I felt really, really good solving that puzzle. Overall, I recommend Loon the Shadow Dust. I enjoyed the art, the music, and the world that have been created around me. And if you like point and click adventure games, you should give this one a shot. So this one comes out of lantern studio and i think it's their first release it's available on pc via steam and it was originally released on the 13th of february 2020 and i gave this game a final score of 77 out of 100. well that's it for my review of Luna: and the shadow dust but what did you think of luna let me know by signing up to patreon at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games well that's it for what i've been playing this week next up let's take a look at the charts For number 10 this week we've got nba 2k20 and that's up three places from last week's 13 number nine this week down one place from last week's number eight it's luigi's mansion 3 number eight this week it's a new entry it's zombie army 4 dead war and down one place from last week's number six it's this week's number seven is minecraft number six this week it's star wars jedi fallen order down from last week's number five number five this week it's mario kart 8 deluxe down from last week's number three Number four this week it's Ring Fit Adventure up three places from last week's number seven and that continues to rise through the charts. Number three this week it's Grand Theft Auto V and that continues to absolutely sell gangbusters and that's up from last week's number four. Number two this week it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare and that's been on the top of the charts for quite a few weeks and uh, back in at number one it's FIFA 20 up from last week's number two and uh, congratulations to the EA team for that well that's it for the charts this week let's have a look what we've got coming up next week so coming up next week you're Corruption 2029 that's coming out on PC that's on February the 17th Then on the 18th we've got Hunt Showdown coming out on PS4 on the 20th we've got Devil May Cry 3 Special Edition that's coming out on Switch on the 21st we've got Tony Stewart's Sprint Car Racing that's coming out on PC on the 25th we've got Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind that's coming out on Xbox One Also on the 25th we've got Mega Man Zero ZX Legacy Collection coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. So that's the full shebang. Also on the 25th we've got Samurai Showdown that's coming out on Switch. Finally on the 25th we've got Two Point Hospital that's coming out on PS4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. And then on February 27th we've got Overpass coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC well that's it for this week's episode and if you want to get involved in the show get in contact through patreon at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website send in your questions your comments your video game stories i'm always interested in hearing from you if you want to join up to the community then look at the discord link down in the show notes but i'm also available on twitter facebook youtube and instagram search this week in video games on your favorite platform and join in that conversation well thanks again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games i hope you have a good week I'll talk to you next weekend but for now, I'll see you soon.